City on the edge. Mike's not here. City on the edge. City on the edge. City on the edge. Mike. <laughs> uh, welcome back to City on the Edge, the podcast where we tell Albuquerque stories. And as I just mentioned, Mike is not here today. He wasn't able to uh, to make it this week, uh, but he should be back soon. If he gets over that new weird plague. That weird new That's... infection <gasps> virus, perhaps. I think, yeah, maybe it's just a matter of method research on his part. Yeah, researching a little too hard. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm Ty Bannerman. And, and I'm Nora Hickey. With me is Nora. And um, today we're going to be talking about uh, diseases. This is part two of our disease cycle. So we're actually splitting this into two episodes. We're going to start with some, some smallpox as an aperitif. Oh, fun. Move on to a main course of a... Uh, of a full meal of tuberculosis with local historian and medical archivist Mo Palmer, and then uh, and then Nora was in charge of uh, bringing dessert today. So, mm-hmm. uh, what do you got for us? Um, Hantavirus cupcakes. Hantavirus cupcakes. This is going to be our most delicious and deadly episode yet. <laughs> but, but first, what is even pre pre aperitif? Ah. <laughs> the thing that happens to you on the street while you're waiting in line to get into the restaurant. Yeah. Which is crime. And getting nails through your palms yeah. in a bosque. <laughs> so um, I know that you read this story, Nora. Yes. Um, this made national news. A man uh, was discovered. Uh, why don't you tell us the circumstances of his discovery? So... In the morning, I believe about 9 a.m., um, someone discovered a man screaming in pain because his hands were nailed to trees in the bosque. So yes. through the palm of each hand was placed one nail. Yes, he was. to a tree. Two different trees. He was nailed yes, to two different two trees. two different trees. And uh, for our non-New Mexico listeners, the bosque is uh, Spanish for forest. And in particular, in Albuquerque, it refers to uh, the the green belt around the lake, <laughs> around the river. Sorry, yeah. I suddenly started thinking of <laughs> Austin because they call it their green belt there around Town Lake. Mm. But this is the uh, this is the um, forest of mostly cottonwoods and elm and salt cedars and so forth around uh, the Rio Grande. And there are jogging trails, yeah, biking. Mm-hmm. Nature trails. There's also a lot of it's pretty undeveloped. Um, so when you go wandering, if you go off the trail and kind of wander around, you're bound to, uh, you know, find some homeless people. Um, yeah. Or at least their signs of their living there. Mm-hmm. It's a great place to take your dog um, down yeah. to the river because they could just run around like like crazy creatures. Mm-hmm. And you can see sometimes coyotes or... Porcupines. Porcupines? Yeah. You ever seen a porcupine in the bosque? No. Neither have I, but I I have it on uh, good authority from a sign (laughs) (laughs) uh, put up by the the park (laughs) services there that they are, in fact, uh, hanging around the bosque. And soon to be added to that sign, 
People nailed to trees. People, well, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't become common enough that they have to put up a sign. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we're, we're joking a little bit about it because the story post, you know, him getting his hands um, bandaged and taken care of, the story kind of became more mysterious. It just gets stranger and strange. It starts with a man got his hands nailed to a tree and then from there, it just gets weirder. Yes, um, if you can believe it. So part of it is that he initially was not cooperating with the investigation. Um, he uh, His hands were not bleeding somehow. Oh, really? Yeah, this is something that they said was his hands were not bleeding, adding that there was one nail in each hand. Also, the nails went right through. If you look at your hand, you know, if you kind of nail your hand to a tree without mm-hmm. paying a lot of attention to your well-being, you would probably damage your bones and so right. forth, cause a you lot of trauma. You could hit a vein, too. Yeah. This, uh, these nails went right through kind of the space between, what are those, tarsals or something? Something, uh, yeah. Hand English bones. Major, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, without, without really causing any broken bones, without, like causing any major bleeding or anything. That's skill. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so immediately people were wondering, well, what is that all about? And the next development was um, a few days later, he went to the news, KRQE, and told them his story. And uh, you want to describe what he, what he had to say? Yeah. So he went to the news to tell his side because he was saying that nobody believes me. Um, this is the reason why. And so his version of events were that he was walking on the Bosque about 8 a.m. And he was carrying um, a manila folder full of documents. Yeah. So right there, you don't... Why would you carry a manila folder full of documents on the nature trail at 8 in the morning on a Saturday? It doesn't... Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right, right. It doesn't was he going to work <laughs> by a nice shady spot on the river? I Meeting don't know. his lawyer in the woods? Kind yes. of a better call Saul sort oh, of yeah. scenario. <laughs> Maybe. Well, we're not really sure because we actually don't get a clear explanation of why he's carrying the documents. No. But the documents figure in because the two two shady men? It was two he men, said right? Two shady men came out of the woods and he said they must have been following him. They came out of the woods and they took him 50 yards away from the, the trail. And this is like a paved trail. This is like the bike trail. Right. They took him about 50 yards away. So not that far away. Told him they were going to make him disappear and then nailed his hands to the trees. But they never did anything with the documents. Or they buried them. Yeah, they took the documents. But they didn't take... And then buried them under a bush next to him. I don't know why they wouldn't take them and like set them on fire if they wanted to get rid of the documents. Yeah, and that's the thing. He says this is all about these documents, which relate to a real estate case that he has. And we don't know the guy's name. It hasn't been released to the public. And they, they, um, they did not reveal his identity on the news broadcast where he shows them where he got nailed. Uh, to a tree. But that it is a legitimate real estate case. Yeah. That's been ongoing. Like the news said that they looked into it and then there is actually a real estate case. And he says that these guys 
Well, he says that they were sent by his, his uh, nemesis enemy his, in yeah. the real estate case. That's where, to me, that's where it gets <laughs> the fuzziest. Yeah. Um, and that they wanted the papers and then they buried them. But close enough <laughs> where he knew where they were buried. Well, that's the thing. While he's taking the news through the trees mm-hmm. and he shows them these are the nail holes in the tree and they wanted these documents and, oh, look, right under this bush is are the documents, the manila folder <gasps> full of documents that the gunman took from me after they told me that they were going to make me disappear and nailed me to a tree 100 feet away from a well-traveled <laughs> yeah. jogging path. Oh, my gosh. So he... So either it happened or <laughs> he wanted to somehow, you know, sway the real estate case in his way. Yeah. Either these are the world's worst hired goons. <laughs> Which just... could be possible in Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, there's, if you go, if you go with the discount goon place, Mm. You you mm. might get these guys who are like, we're going to make you disappear. And by nailing you to this tree right next to the jogging trail, but not killing you or anything. So feel free to scream your head off, right. I guess. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, or, yeah, what, what would you say your suspicion is? Now that we're talking it out, I just feel the whole finding the documents. I just feel like any person would think a way to destroy these documents, to hide these documents, isn't to bury them in a bush by the man. By the dude. <laughs> that you nailed to a tree. Yeah. That's where, to me, the disconnect isn't. Because what's is the best there? case scenario for your hired goons in this circumstance? Um, the guy gets nailed to a tree, dies quietly for some reason, like despite, like oh, all yeah, by himself. Right, yeah, right. Despite taking no effort, making no effort to kill him. Quietly expires, um, and then nobody ever goes a hundred feet off the jogging trail, right. finds the skeleton nailed to the to the the trees, <laughs> and uh, looks under the bush right next to it. Right, maybe, um, yeah, or or it's the worst uh, worst frame up job in the world. Yeah, and. Um, I hope we get some more stories, though, because <laughs> it would be this nice. isn't over, and I'm confused. It would be nice to know. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if that just, you know, you can hear the guy's voice and everything. Um, what do we know about him? He's He speaks Spanish. He speaks Spanish. Uh, he kind of goes in and out of Spanish. Um, he's very concerned that the news doesn't believe him mm-hmm. and that nobody else believes him. And... Um, and he's and he's con- he's convinced certainly that this is all part of this real mm-hmm. estate thing, yeah. or he wants us everyone else to believe that. My feeling is, I I, I kind of feel like maybe he's just not a real smart guy. I know. And um, he uh, he decided that this was his big plan. But how creative! I mean, really. <laughs> yeah, give him points I for mean, creativity. The yeah. whole. Nails in the hands of the trees. I mean, I that to me is. He, he really went a the extra step. mile, yeah. I think, in, t- in terms of, I mean, you know, how would you, how would you do it? What would you do to, uh, to frame your nemesis? Mm-hmm. Um, That's a, yeah, I would somehow like get a paper cut, make them <laughs> get some blood or like D 
DNA from them and then <laughs> something <laughs> they, like that. There you go. But I wouldn't oh. harm anyone, like kill anyone, just right. like innocuous DNA sample. I, I kind of feel like he could have accomplished this exact same scenario without nailing his mm-hmm. hands to the tree. He could have tied himself up. That's true. And been like, oh, they tied me up and took my documents. And then and then step two, of course, would be not leaving the documents next to him under the <gasps> under the bush. There I, you go. That's foolproof. That's great. <laughs> I just thought, I feel like the Coen brothers should make a movie out of this. It has strains of Fargo, oh, No Country for Old Men, you know? Yeah. What's the one they did with uh, Blood Simple? Blood Wasn't Simple. Wasn't that kind of a frame yeah. up? And Fargo had that kind of scenario. Like frame up too. Wow. Well, that really, now we've got a little Coen brothers mm-hmm. going on in this city. We're so used to Breaking Bad and everything. Of course, No Country for Old Men was filmed here as well. Yeah. Let's not forget. And if anyone knows the Coen brothers and wants to send them this yep. episode. Because we got a story for them. Hey. <laughs> Okay, so well, that's uh, that's the news from Albuquerque. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, we need we do need to have an addendum to the last uh, mm-hmm. episode we did where we talked about Wise Pies Arena. Oh yeah, because it has now been revealed what the name is, and I think you should be the one to tell everybody what the new name of the pit is. I believe it's DreamWorks. No, Dreamscapes. Dreamscape, Dreamscape Arena. Arena. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I, I posted a thing, kind of making fun of it. Yes. And then you said I couldn't do that. Yes, because I feel like, and I'm getting on my, you know, pro sports and pro donor soapbox, but I feel like the man Larry Chavez and his son Larry Mm -hmm. Chavez Jr., who own Dreamscape Remodeling, I believe. Yeah, okay. um, You know, they went to UNM and they support the community and they gave this, you know, very big gift to the mostly to the athletics but mm-hmm. also to um the hospital and like Anderson school and Pope Joy. So they're okay. So you know and they're and they're from Spreading New Mexico the money and they're you know keeping it in New Mexico mm-hmm. and wise pies the guy always seemed a little yeah. not the guy I don't know the guy but the deal never seemed firm. That deal was not for much money if I remember right. Yeah. Um yeah. Well I I I want to say I think uh Dreamscape Arena. I don't like that name either. That's which is fair. <laughs> but I think he said in some article he knows everyone is going to call it the pit. Like it's every, uh, okay. it's the pit in everyone's hearts. Yes, it's the pit in everyone's hearts. Oh. <laughs> wow. I think that's Albuquerque, right? Yeah. The pit yeah. in your heart. Um better than the pit in your arm, I guess. Uh Yeah. Armpit. Yeah, yeah. I would rather have a pit in my arm <laughs> than in my heart actually. Good. Now that no, we're you're talking. right. Medically speaking. <laughs> yes. You're absolutely correct. So, um, yeah, I thought that was important that we address that. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, best of luck for everyone involved. I hope uh, I hope everybody still calls it the pit, but I hope that um, Mr. Chavez was mm-hmm. it uh, feels like um, he's uh, he's done a great deed for his alma mater. Yeah. And that it it does in fact help the uh, the school out because right now we kind of need it. I know. I know money's not coming in from the gov. So. Nope. Well. Should we talk about yeah. some diseases? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, and let's let's have a little disease music going in. I'll add that later in post. Okay. <laughs> okay so um, we're going to start with smallpox, which is the worst disease ever. Uh, it, do you think so? Pretty much. 
And let me tell you why I think so. Mm-hmm. You go to smallpox on, uh, on Wikipedia, um, and uh, the first thing you see that is like a, a fun Saturday night. horrific <gasps> image of a young child with smallpox. Um, she looks like she's about three or four years old, and she's just absolutely covered with the grossest scabbiest, scaliest sores all over her body. And you're like, oh, you know what? I'm glad we got rid of that one. That's Uh, not a pretty sight. No, it's not a pretty sight. It's awful. It's really really bad. And I just want to say, as a podcast, we are against smallpox. So good job, world, for eradicating this disease. Yeah. Um, So we want to talk about smallpox in New Mexico. Um, but before we get into that, I feel like we should give a little bit of context about the disease. Okay. This has been a plague on humanity for, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Um, the best, uh, estimation is that it originated in Africa in a rodent population and crossed from species to species until it infected humans. Yeah. Rodents, man. They, uh. What's with them in disease? So they they think that happened probably somewhere between 65,000 and 16,000 years ago. The earliest um, physical evidence of the disease is its appearance on the mummy of Ramses V, uh, obviously Egyptian, and this uh, his reign was. Da, 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 da. 1149 BCE uh, to 1145 BCE. So wow. a good long while ago. And this disease ravaged its way through Egypt, China, uh, Africa, India, Europe, Asia. It was um, a horrific scourge for thousands and thousands of years. Um and killed, I just read some statistic, 30 million? 30 million? 300 million. Overall, overall all of time? Yeah. I, I didn't uh, find out the overall, the all-time statistics, I but certainly. I better look again, but yeah, it was <laughs> really a lot. Yeah, so there's two strains of it, variola major and variola minor. Um you know, like they always say that the reason that uh, smallpox ravaged through the Americas so badly was because the Native Americans here didn't have an immunity to it. So even in mm-hmm. Europe, where there was considerable immunity to the disease, um, the two strains racked up, you know, a huge amount of mm-hmm. uh, of, of uh, fatalities. <laughs> God, now I sound like I, I feel like I'm talking about Mortal Kombat or something. <laughs> um, fatality. Uh, and then even if you manage to get through it without dying, um, you would have a much uh, higher chance of having limb deformity deformities due to arthritis brought on by a suppressed immune system. Really? Blindness. It was a really huge uh, one of the... Um, it was actually the number one cause of blindness in medi- medieval Europe <gasps> was uh, survival. Uh, from smallpox. Oh my gosh. Um, and uh, we all know the story of it coming to the Americas. Uh, it does not appear to have existed prior to the Spanish um, and Portuguese colonists mm-hmm. coming to uh, the Indies and then uh, to the America, uh, North American continent and South American continent proper. Um, and once it hit, it really hit 
super bad. <laughs> right. It decimated yeah. native populations, right? Absolutely. Aztec and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the conquest of the Americas by uh, Europeans was not due entirely to the possession of firearms and horses right. Right. and armor. It was also because everybody was dying of this smallpox mm-hmm. that they also brought with them as a sort of accidental germ warfare mm-hmm. that sometimes became a purposeful, purposeful. germ warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, although the, uh, the, um, the idea that, uh, you know, smallpox blankets were distributed purposefully, uh, to native American populations that only happened a couple of times that we know of for sure. Right. But, um, it was it's more certainly, accidental yeah, overall. it certainly did happen like accidentally. So all over the world, uh, it was, causing great hardship. Interestingly enough, um, it also prompted the invention of vaccination as we know it. Wow. Uh, Beginning in China, actually, in the 16th century in China, at least, the Chinese discovered that you could powder smallpox scabs and blow them up the nose of someone who didn't have smallpox and then they would be they would they would develop a mild case of the disease and then were immune to it. The, still, sometimes people died. Two percent of people who experienced mm-hmm. this did die. Lower than I would expect. They said a point five to two percent. So I guess it it varied. Um, but the mortality rate at that time was a uh, twenty to thirty percent in China. So it was way more likely oh. that you would die. Um, if you caught smallpox without being inoculated in this, what wow. they, they call it variolated uh, when you're inoculated with smallpox itself. Mm. Um, mm. The Turkish kind of did a similar thing. Um, this is written in 1717 uh, by an English uh, member of the embassy um, in Turkey. Uh, she wrote, the smallpox so fatal and so general amongst us here is entirely harmless is entirely is rendered entirely harmless by the invention of engrafting, which is the term they give it. There is a set of old women who make it their business to perform the op- operation. Every autumn in the month of September, when the great heat is abated, people send to one another to know if any of their family has a mind to have the smallpox. They make parties for the purpose, and when they are met, commonly 15 or 16 together, the old woman comes with a nutshell full of the matter of the best sort of smallpox and asks what veins you would like to have opened. (laughs) She immediately rips those open that you offer to her with a large needle, which gives you no more pain than a common scratch, and puts into the vein as much venom as can lie upon the head of her needle and after binds up the little wound with a hollow bit of shell, and in this manner opens four or five veins. The children or young patients play together all the rest of the day and are in perfect health till the eight. I guess, wow. Um, I don't know what the eight is, but, uh, well. The fever then begins to seize them, and they keep their beds two days, very seldom three. They have very rarely above 20 or 30 in their faces, which never mark, and in eight days' time they are as well as before the illness. There is no example of anyone that has died in it, and you may believe I am very well satisfied of the safety of the experiment since I intend to try it on my dear little son. I am patriot enough to take the pains to bring this useful invention into fashion in England, and I should not fail to write to some of our doctors very particularly about it if I knew any one of them 
that I thought had virtue enough to destroy such a considerable branch of their revenue for the good of mankind, <laughs> but that distemper is too beneficial to them not to expose all their resentment, the hardy white that should undertake to put an end to it. Perhaps if I live to return, I may, however, have the courage to war with them. And there we see an early example of the, well, physicians or whatever, the uh, big pharma could cure cancer, right. but they want to keep making money. God, um, <laughs> even back then. <laughs> even back then, they thought that there was at least an idea. We know you can cure it. <laughs> so anyway, it did It did begin to take hold in, uh, in England. Um, the major problem with that is that you have to have smallpox uh, uh, particularly in order to inoculate, and that it does still carry a mortality oh, rate okay. with it. So you couldn't, without it, if you got that... Yeah, you had to have a source develop. Okay. of smallpox okay. uh, scabs and so forth. And I guess probably the fresher, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Because that, that becomes a problem later on okay. in New Mexico. But you were going to say? Well, I had read that a problem with that vaccine in England was that it broke down in the heat. Oh, so okay. Like it, you know, that could be at a certain temperature. It just yeah, was that rendered makes sense. useless. And it wasn't until the fifties that they were able that to do they that. They were then. able to yes. Mm. Figure so out it, the temperature. It was uh, flawed, I guess. Right, mm. the variolation. Um, but still, kudos to them. Yeah. I mean, well, and since the 1500s, it's kind of cool that people had already made this connection. Something that we really don't mm-hmm. consider. Um, as having happened until, you know, the modern era. Right. And didn't New Mexicans have their own special way to... Yes. But you're jumping ahead of oh, the sorry, story sorry. here. All right. So, so excited. In, uh, in 1796, uh, English physician Edward Jenner found that um, milkmaids were surprisingly resistant to smallpox. And the reason for this was that they were prone to getting something, a, a relative pox called cowpox, mm. which was plenty ugly. Um, there's uh, engravings of, of what it looked like on, on hands and udders. And it's definitely not the sort of thing you want to have on you. It's a bunch of little little sores. However, mm. it, appears, it appeared to have rendered them immune to smallpox. Wow. And so he made the leap to realizing that exposure to cowpox could vaccinate a person against smallpox. And the reason he called it vaccination is because, yeah, so Latin for cow is vaxa, and that is also the root of the Spanish word vaca. Um, No way. Yeah, that is absolutely. So uh, it was called a vaccination because the uh, material came from cows. Oh, my gosh. And the first um, Russian child who was vaccinated was actually named Vaxinov. Oh. They named him Vaxinov after that. Why, why did that <laughs> name go out of fashion? Um, because he had autism. Oh. No. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, do not perpetuate that. <laughs> I had to make the, make the joke somewhere. Uh, meanwhile, in New Mexico, the Spaniards had, of course, uh, conquered New Mexico by that point and had uh, settlements all over, including Santa Fe and Albuquerque. And there were many outbreaks of smallpox uh, at various times. Uh, Fry Angelico Chavez, uh, one of the early writers about New Mexico, uh, 
kept a pretty good list of all the times that people were dying of smallpox. And it is a long list. I mean, wow. it's, you know, basically 1699, 1719, 1728. And these are things of like 109 uh, Indians and Hamas die. Akama, many die. Um, Zuni, 200 Indians die of smallpox, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. And these are not, you know, huge communities. These are significantly... Uh, impacted by these these deaths um so uh new mexico was prone to it hmm. the spaniards given their trouble with uh the the hotbeds of smallpox that were in the americas um in their colonies were quick to leap on edward jenner's discovery of smallpox vaccination and realize that they could use it themselves um to lessen the, the, the plagues that they were experiencing. So in an 1804 letter by Brigadier Nemesio Salcedo, the general commandant of the internal provinces of uh, New Spain, which is all Mexico and uh, also what's modern-day New Mexico, hmm. um, wrote to the governor of Santa Fe at that time, I advise your honor to see that the surgeon Don Cristobal Laranyaga be included in the caravan at the end of the present year, bringing in the company six or eight children so that in them the fluid may be fused. And that's the fluid from cowpox. Mm. Uh, inoculating them from arm to arm when they return from here. So he was asking um, the governor of New Mexico to send uh, six to eight children down to Mexico City where they could be exposed to smallpox hmm. and then come back up to New Mexico with smallpox infections. And then they could be used to oh. harvest the oh. fluids. <laughs> you Jeez. okay? <laughs> I just realized what they're being used for. Yeah. They're a little disease farm, oh basically. My God. Like, bring the kids down. We're going to... Because the problem was that the, the smallpox or the, the cowpox um, inoculation wouldn't survive the trip from Mexico City to New Mexico reliably. So they oh, instead put it into the children. kids. Yes. This is basically the plot of Alien, actually. Nameless. I mean, do you remember yeah. the plot of it? The plot of it no. is <laughs> that the company wishes to obtain a sample of the alien being, the, the xenomorph. Mm -hmm. And so they need humans to go and get infected <gasps> by it and then unwittingly go to unwittingly them. infected oh. and then come back. So it's God. like the same thing, but with, uh, with cowpox. Wow. So anyway, it worked out actually. <laughs> so the good Thank thing is it worked out. Six or seven children. <laughs> so we should try to get money to build a monument to. It wound okay, up anyways. being four children successfully vaccinated um, and infected with cowpox. And he, uh, Surgeon Laranyaga, brought them up through New Mexico. They uh, vaccinated 257 more children, um, 37 in Albuquerque, 143 in Santa Fe. And um, I think that's not quite a whole accounting, but other places, I suppose, around New Mexico. Hmm. Um, then those, so what they would do is they would take the, the fluid produced by the cowpox sores and then the seeping, runny fluid, <laughs> the pus, basically. Okay. And they would use it. Uh, they would put it on a needle, and they would infect somebody else with it, right? So they would they would give them little pokes, just like it was described up yeah. above in in Turkey. Um, by the end of that year, they had uh, by 
doing this kind of thing where they would infect some children and then use those children to infect more children, mm-hmm. they had successfully vaccinated uh, 3,610 uh, children wow. in New Mexico. Okay, that's a good outcome. So no doubt the kids had some itchy fingers or something for a while. Right. But you know, overall, it is a, uh, a much better uh, situation um, than everybody dying of smallpox. However, the problem was that uh, once that round of cowpox was over, um, they couldn't get any more of it from that Mexico City. That fresh cowpox. Yeah, that good fresh cowpox yeah. that you need without sending a bunch of other kids. And I guess that that wasn't really practical uh, for them to do that every year. <laughs> I'd imagine the sign-up for that was kind of a, can we take your kids down to Mexico City, which is a long... <laughs> really dangerous journey, mm-hmm. infect them with the disease and then bring them back and poke them with needles for, you know, oh a year God. or so while we infect other people with the same disease. Um, I guess there weren't necessarily a lot of takers for that. And once you kind of have all the easy people, the soldiers, kids and so forth, right. that'll do it. Uh, you know, you, you have to go farther afield to people who have no idea what you're talking what? about. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, they, uh, the fluid was lost in 1806. They tried using powdered cowpox, but it did, not use, it did not work. General Salcedo managed to forward some fresh cowpox fluid crusts, he called it, to La Ranyaga with these instructions. Uh, some 10 or 12 crusts are taken and ground in a very clean mortar. The powder is put in a paper and with a drop of water, wait until it remains in a very flexible dough a scab dough (laughs) with the point of the lancet or needle. It is taken and introduced to the children, the same as if it were the fluid vaccine with respect to which it gives the same results. And indeed it did. And this was what they continued to do. And every time anybody got smallpox in New Mexico or uh, cowpox, the people in the villages and so forth that had seen this Mm -hmm. happening began to do it themselves, which actually raised their resistance to smallpox in New Mexico as a whole. So it it was... It sounds like, you know, the communities took it upon themselves and started spreading the... Yes. Not inoculation, but... Well, was it inoculation? Um, So this is called the... So if it's cowpox, it's called vaccination. If it's smallpox, it's called um, variolation um, or inoculation. Hmm. And I, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of those terms, but that is as I understand yeah. it. Huh. Um, so basically, and and I believe that the smallpox uh, vaccinations of the um, of of the twentieth century were with cowpox as well. Okay, uh, I believe. You know, I've always, if I wasn't going to be a writer and podcaster and uh-huh. teacher. I really want to be an animal dermatologist. So I would have loved the job of like getting the scabs from the cows. <laughs> wow. Because that's my dream job still. It's really sad that you didn't go into that because I'd imagine there's very few people who are like, I want to pick dog scabs. God, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you're a good writer though. So oh, um, we're happy that you joined our side, even if uh, the world's disease problem continues. But if you ever just need a good scab picker for a cow, let me know. Okay. Yeah. So as we all know, um, smallpox was eventually eliminated mm-hmm. with a huge public health campaign worldwide. Um, the last person to die of naturally occurring smallpox uh, was 1977. 
Um, he in was Somalia. In Somalia, exactly right. Did you happen to read about the last person to die of non-naturally contracted smallpox? Was it? It was the lab, wasn't it? It was the lab. Yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and read that real quick because yeah. I think it's just it's a it's a terrible story. Oh. Uh, this is from an IO9 article on the subject. Uh, Janet Parker was a medical photographer who worked at the University oh. of Birmingham Medical School. From the moment she was diagnosed, there was no question where she got the virus. She worked directly above a laboratory studying <gasps> smallpox. The lab. She didn't even work in it. No. Okay. This is such a sad story. The lab, headed by Professor Henry Bedson, was winding down its research. Bedson was caught between competing demands. He believed he was on the verge of a breakthrough in smallpox research, and the World Health Organization believed him. It believed him enough to send him samples of the virus. It, however, couldn't keep sending him samples of the virus because his lab did not meet safety requirements, and no one was willing to put up the money to make the improvements in his lab for a virus that was all but gone. As a result, the researchers in the lab worked on an airborne virus without airlocks and without separate showers or changing facilities and without special clothing in the lab to prevent contamination. Because Bedson knew his time was running out, they also handled the virus in the main lab away from safety cabinets. Uh, Everyone who was working on it was up to date on their vaccinations. Um, You're supposed to get a... uh, vaccination renewal every few years when you're actually working on with it yeah janet parker the photographer however had not had one in 12 years oh my god um and she contracted it um at first she thought she had a cold then pustules started appearing she was treated and her parents whom she had contacted were quarantined and they knew it was smallpox oh at that point. Oh, my gosh. That's awful. Henry Bedson wound up cutting his throat <gasps> with garden shears. Um, Janet Parker's father died of a heart attack due to stress and worry. <gasps> and then Janet herself eventually succumbed to smallpox. That's uh, awful. Yeah, really awful. Um, wow. And one final New Mexico footnote. Uh, in 2004, a researcher in Santa Fe, uh, <laughs> her name was Suzanne Caro. Actually, she was a librarian. She was flipping through a book, um, which was an 1888 book on Civil War medicine. Oh, my gosh. Um, when she found a small envelope tucked in between the pages. <gasps> she took it up, and she read the inscription on it, and it said, Scabs from Vaccination of W.B. Yarrington's Children in the Corner. Um, and she kind of like was, huh, scabs, you know, like what, what kind of scabs could those be? And so she did some research and decided, uh, as she said, the only thing I could find connected with it was smallpox. Oh, my God. <laughs> did she die? No, oh, she okay, didn't. Okay. Um, she called the FBI. And this is 2004. So this is post 9-11. Oh Everybody's all freaked out God. about germ warfare. And uh, they sent people out. They uh, collected the scabs. Um observed her and so forth. Uh, they believed there was a small chance that the scabs could yield live virus, uh, but they wound up not doing it. Oh, <laughs> I can't believe that you found a freaking envelope with smallpox scabs. Can you imagine the sinking feeling of just like, oh, oh man. I mean, this is like oh you, my God. when you feel a little under the weather and you go check WebMD. Oh, don't you ever start, do that. Yeah. You start feeling bad. Or when you're researching <laughs> viruses, oh, don't also check WebMD <laughs> for any little issues. 
So that's my uh, that's my New Mexico story about smallpox. Um, Amazing. <laughs> and please stay gone. Yeah, please stay gone. Don't if you flip through any Civil War books in any New Mexico libraries and you find envelopes. Mm-hmm. Call the FBI immediately. I don't care what they yeah, say. On yeah. Let's just assume. Just let them know. That there's smallpox scabs. God, and it's gross. It's just a gross disease, too. It's all scabs and fluids. and. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that there's any diseases that are, like, not gross, but some of them are certainly worse than others. The scabbiness. Next week, we'll have a special bonus episode where we discuss tuberculosis with historian, archivist, and author Mo Palmer and also get into the origins of hantavirus. And now, for a short one-act play. Hey, Ty, what are you doing with that crate and all that crap? I'm working on a new service for our listeners. It's called Crap Crate. Did you say crab cake? Uh, No, crap crate. It's a great new service where I put junk I find lying around my house into a crate and then send it to people for just $20 a month. Hmm, what kind of junk? Well, that's the best part. It's just whatever I find that I want to get rid of, so nobody knows what it is until they open it up, and each month will have a different theme. So this month's will be things my dogs destroyed, and you might open up your crate to find some chewed-up Legos, a shredded Kleenex, or even a set of Doctor Who Season 2 DVDs that my dogs destroyed. They destroyed DVDs? Yes, beyond all repair. This sounds like a terrible idea. But Nora, it'll give people a way to help support the show. We already have that. It's our Patreon account at www.patreon.com slash edge. It's a great way for people to donate money to help support the show without us having to resort to promoting terrible products that nobody needs or wants. Plus, people who donate can actually pick up good products that they like, like City on the Edge t-shirts and even books about Albuquerque history, while supporting some plucky local podcasters. That's great. Except, what do I do with all this crap in my house? Throw it away. Fantastic. Something to sleep on. We should mention our new patrons. Uh, We've had quite a few new patrons coming on board in the last, uh, last month or so. Um... The most recent one is uh, this is this is a perplexing name. I assume it was chosen for this very reason, but not because now I'm going to say it. The person who most recently donated to our Patreon account is called an old boar gullet proverb: colon, only Sheev could go to Mandalore. Oh. So thank you. Thank you. What the hell does it mean? Do you have any ideas? I feel like it's a riddle. Mandalore, like we got. I know. If we let's, solve yeah, the riddle. Let's solve it. Let's come back with our ideas for okay. the next. Okay. Well, one. here's what I've got so far. Mandalore and Sheev are Star Wars things. Oh. So Mandalore is. I don't really know, but I know that um, Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. You know, Boba. He wore Mandalorian armor. And that Sheev is uh, the first name of Emperor Palpatine. Who's you know the bad emperor in Star yeah. Wars? Uh, so that's what I got, and I guess maybe right. Sheev could go to Mandalore in the same way that only Nixon could go to China. But that is it. I got nothing else. I don't know what a boar gullet is. I know what a proverb is, but anyway, thank you for that. Thank An you old so boar gullet proverb: only Sheev could go to Mandalore. Uh, we also have Ben Tucker, um, actually an old friend of mine, uh, Joshua Hayland. 
and Ryan Schiff have all just come on board and they join. Um, let me load up the, the big list here. Thank you to everyone. So, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. So nice. It's hugely, so hugely helpful. Um, it's loading it up now. Okay, we already mentioned Joshua Hayland and Old Poor Gullet. We've got April, Rachel Langer, Julie Bannerman, Amy Nevitt, Jim Robillard, Noah Patterson, Jesse Crawford, uh, Ryan Schiff and Ben Tucker, Sierra Nets, Alexandra Samoyoa, Christopher Suski, Courtney Fitzgerald, Farrell M. Smith, Amy Gabe, Roland Pentilla, Isaac Clark, and Sandra Dodd. Thank you guys so much. for Thank the- you. Uh, absolutely sincerely uh you're a huge help to what we do um and uh well we'll uh we'll podcast at you later bye